Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Monday, March 14th edition of the Basement Academy. If my eyes get a little heavy, it's because I stayed up longer than I should have in this first Sunday evening of daylight savings. I was just awake, 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 and so went to bed a little later than I should have. <laughs> or shall we say morning came uh, a little sooner than it should have. Uh, our morning psalm, Psalm 44, is kind of long, uh, and so invite your patience and prayer with it, but it does contain some themes that we'll pick up in our morning study, but also, as we'll point out, the Apostle Paul picks up a portion of this in, um, uh, in his letter to the Roman church. So let, let's pray Psalm 44. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance and gained nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The peoples shake their heads at us. My disgrace is before me all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who was bent on revenge. All this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back, our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals and covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. Mm. It's a long psalm and it's kind of hard. It's all the goodness of God's deliverance and exodus and getting them into the promised land and then... You've rejected us and abandoned our armies. 
What, what is going on? The Apostle Paul picks, picks up on this. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, uh, yet for your sake we face death all day long in, in the, his uh, letter to the Roman church. So, okay, so let's talk again about the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we uh, did a little bit of introduction and spent a few days reflecting on the Beatitudes. <clears throat> Let me pick up with the last of the Beatitudes uh, in verse 10, the last of the eight, and then read a couple more verses. <clears throat> Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. So the eighth beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> and then the two verses following that are not probably the quite the same formula or pattern as the beatitude, but they clearly connect to this last beatitude. And so three times, you got to get this, this is the first two minutes of the sermon, right? So Jesus goes up on the mountainside, he sits down, his disciples are gathered there, there are other crowds because he's been healing and doing all, all kinds of stuff. And so two minutes in, we're still in the introduction, right? Okay. And he three times extols the virtue of being persecuted. Blessed are you when... You are persecuted because of me. Or blessed are those. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me and rejoice and be glad because they persecuted the prophets who were before you just the same way. Wow. Okay. I went to seminary. We took preaching classes. This was not the advice given in the preaching class to begin your inaugural sermon in the first two minutes in the introduction and tell people how good it's going to be when they're persecuted. <clears throat> we sometimes misunderstand persecution. Persecution is not just suffering. There's, there's kind of a general suffering that all humanity goes through. Um, just the reality of illness and you know, the, the general brokenness of society, uh, loss, um, you know, the consequences of our actions, you know, uh, relational um, things, that, <clears throat> you know, that we go through. That's not persecution. Persecution is um, antagonism that is directed, actions that are directed, words that are directed at a person, generally for conscience, conscientious reasons, right? And so um, some people are imprisoned, uh, some people uh, have their jobs taken away, some people uh, have their reputations taken away, some people have their lives taken away. 
And so there's physical persecution that in, 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 you know, engages uh, things like beatings and imprisonment and torture and obviously death. Um, there's social persecution, if we could say it that way, uh, being shunned or ostracized, uh, cut off. There, I guess you could say emotional persecution, you know, being insulted, um, slandered, you know, your reputation is, is uh, diminished. Um, you could say financial persecution, which maybe ties to losing one's livelihood. We, we see some of that going on today. And so Jesus ties the persecution, this opposition that they will face or, or that, that his followers will face because of me, uh, because of righteousness. So something is going on here. You know, it's, it's two minutes in, Jesus is saying, buckle up, friends. <laughs> Whatever you think the kingdom of God is like, because he's coming to announce the kingdom, whatever you think the kingdom of God is like, you're mistaken. It is not like that. So let's clear some, some brush away right at the outset. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then blessed are those who are persecuted, persecuted, persecuted. Wow. And so, mentioned last week that these Beatitudes introduce the, the, the sermon. It's what a good introduction is doing. It, it, it sets up the message, okay? The introduction is part of the message, and the Beatitudes certainly are here, but it, it's setting up the message. Um, many years ago, in the early... Um, I'd say probably first two years, I don't recall exactly when, of my walking with Christ uh, towards the tail end of my days at uh, University of Virginia. And I came to faith. Somebody said, hey, you should read this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship. And I said, okay. And it's an extended reflection. It's a commentary essentially on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, now, Bonhoeffer uh, was a Lutheran pastor in pre-Nazi Germany and then Nazi Germany. He ended up becoming imprisoned. He was part of a plot to assassinate uh, Adolf Hitler, and he was himself killed just days before uh, the Allies liberated uh, the concentration camp where he was. So in many ways, he was a bit of a, a, a stern and stout believer. He was young, but in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he writes these words. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. We have to catch that. 
the cross is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story for the Christian disciple. And then here's the, the, the money verse, as it were, that often will be cited in this passage. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world, but it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. And so, Bonhoeffer understands when Jesus says, you pick up your cross and follow me, blessed are those who are persecuted, that this life of discipleship, this life of Christ is not a bed of roses. It is the opposite of that. This kingdom of God that comes is in conflict with the kingdoms of this world, and the kingdoms of this world will rise up against the sons and daughters of this new kingdom. And so this notion of persecution being part of the Christian life. It's unavoidable in the New Testament scriptures. We do a pretty good job of avoiding it, but it really is woven uh, throughout our New Testament. Um, some years ago when I taught on this, I, I had a uh, somebody offered to me <clears throat> a little reading from the, the martyrdom of Polycarp. Polycarp was the Bishop of Smyrna, uh, which would be in modern-day Turkey, I guess, um, roughly 150-160 AD. He is imprisoned, arrested, arrested in prison, and ultimately or subsequently uh, martyred, uh, put to death for his faith, for his refusal to renounce Christ, to curse Christ, for his refusal to sacrifice to the Roman gods. And so the, the Christians were understood to be atheists because they refused to worship the pantheon of Roman gods. It's ironic, isn't it, that Christians were thought of as atheists. They, 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 they didn't believe in the gods because they believed in the one true God and Jesus Christ, his son. And so just the one, one little passage from this, this excerpt. Um, but the proconsul was insistent and said, Take the oath and I shall release you. Curse Christ. Polycarp said, Eighty-six years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And then it goes on from there and describes uh, the manner of death. He's threatened with wild beasts and threatened uh, with, with being burned at the stake. And so the martyrdom of Polycarp. So the Sermon on the Mount begins, this is what, see, it's one of these passages or one of these sections of scripture. Because of our familiarity, we have kind of lost the edges to it. We've lost the, the edginess. The, the, it is so, it comes in at an angle and it cuts. <laughs> it, 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 it works against the grain of the wood. We pick up some splinters and go, wow, where is this thing coming from? But we're so familiar with it, we think this is actually, we, we, we lose how radical what Jesus is saying here is. 
because we are so accommodated to cultural forms of Christianity here in America. Uh, because Christianity is the primary religion of our culture. Not ex it's not the exclusive religion of our culture, but it's the primary. And for, you know, going back into the 17, 1800s, you know, to be a Christian was in and of itself not always a bad thing. In fact, it has actually been a good thing. It's been a social good for many of the decades uh, of our um, American Republic here. But it's changing. And we don't like it. So, you know, just the notion of going to a church, you know, back in the good old days, you know, the 50s and 60s, maybe even the 70s, you know, you move to town and you look for a church. It's a social benefit to be connected to a Christian church. And once upon a time, you know, it was a Protestant church, right? You know, because Catholics were sometimes looked askance. And this was a Protestant country. It was, you know, founded by the pilgrims, those who were, you know, fleeing religious persecution. And so we know that story. <clears throat> but cultural Christianity expects all things to be sympathetic to our faith. And so, you know, we expect uh, prayer in school. We expect prayer maybe at football games. Um, uh, one of our members was down, uh, is down in Texas and recently went to a rodeo and they opened up the rodeo with a very bold prayer in the name of Jesus. Uh, we expect prayer um, at graduation ceremonies. We expect prayer uh, in all these places. In, in, and so we, we kind of weave our politics and our faith together in God we trust on our coins, um, one nation under God in our Pledge of Allegiance. This is part of cultural Christianity. And, and, and so what ends up happening when the culture begins to shift and change and all of a sudden in the recent decades, it's no longer a, a social good to be a Christian. In fact, by many of the elites and you know, cultural elites in our, in our country, um, in academia, corporate America increasingly is turning against, you know, there's this high wall of separation of church and state. And all of a sudden the faith is being pushed back on and the rise of the nuns, those who are not affiliated, to which uh, faith community do you belong? None of the above, N-O-N-E. So the rise of the nuns. And so um, the, the pers I, I, I don't have it in front of me. I, I should have done this before this recording, but the, the percentages are significant. You know, as the greatest generation is passing, the baby boomers are themselves, you know, aging. And so the new millennial and then the, 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 the Gen Z, you know, starts to come. These others who don't have interest in the faith, don't have interest in the church. In fact, see the church as a bad thing. The, the Roman Catholic abuse scandal, um, some of the hypocrisy, uh, the, the wedding of faith and politics in such a way, partisan politics, and really on both sides of the of the aisle, you know, right and left. And so many young people are just completely done with the church and done with the faith. And so this notion of cultural Christianity where, you know, we just go to church and everybody agrees with us and morality and that's changing. 
And a lot of us don't like it, right? And persecution is starting to come, not, not physical persecution, not torture, but reputational persecution. They're Christians now. If they want to keep their job, they better keep their mouth shut and better not speak up against, you know, cult, uh, diversity trainings and all the advocacy for, um, uh, quote unquote, marginalized groups. And so um, I think these words of Jesus are helpful for such a time as this, that to be an earnest follower of Jesus Christ may lead to opposition and antagonism. And so the question is, will we stand? Will we be firm? Will we hold our ground? Not, 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 not attacking, but just will we, will we stand firm? And so there is in this, these opening words of the um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus um, points forward to what he will speak of in, in other places of this noble call to suffering. I want to read just from John's gospel. And this is uh, towards the, this is at the Last Supper and um, that, that upper room discourse. John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus is speaking this prior to his death. They did persecute Jesus, right? They will persecute. And so the early church faced significant persecution, not in our country because of cultural Christianity. Again, the faith became wedded with our culture. That is separating, that is changing. Um, just a couple other, other passages. Um, Revelation chapter 7 this is towards the end of the, this is the end, John's vision. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Mm. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Martyrs from every nation, tribe, race, people. The church in every culture, in every generation has its martyrs. <laughs> And so Jesus says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. We have John's vision at the end of the story. 
um, in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the hall of faith, <clears throat> uh, beginning in verse uh, 35, chapter 11, 35 of Hebrews, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. And so, recalling here the prophets, the, those who died for the faith uh, in, earlier, in earlier days, um, Peter uses some of this same language um, in 1 Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you were suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So Peter making an allusion, I think, to this beatitude right here, this, this passage. And then finally, you know, Romans chapter 8 it is in the context of, of suffering. And so this is back to the, the morning psalm <clears throat> where Paul writes, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So we might hear this uh, and go, oh, we just talked about that in our character study, that he... Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. If we're to be conformed into the likeness of Christ, then part of that uh, conforming will be unto suffering. It will be unto persecution. That if we are going to share in the life of Christ, we will also share in the death of Christ, in the persecution of Christ. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Maybe an allusion to the the martyrdom of Stephen, right? Who saw the Son of Man at the right hand of the Father. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those words that we love are written in the context of the persecution of the early church. God is working all things. We cannot be separated from. <laughs> we, we are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Paul picking up on that, that psalmic theme. And so 
buckle up indeed, right? The opening words of the Sermon on the Mount should just set us off. We, We should be a little off balance right now. Because when you're off balance, all of a sudden you start paying attention. Okay, I've got to get my balance back. Jesus, what are you talking about? And that's what we're going to dive into. We start going further and further. This call to follow Christ is not always what we think it is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the stern, stiff wake-up call that Jesus offers in these opening Uh, words of the sermon. Grant us grace so to stand firm in our time. May our feet be solidly placed on the rock of Jesus Christ, who has suffered for us and suffers with us. Lord, hear our prayers even now for the persecuted church around the world. And Lord, ready us for what may come our way here in our own country. Hear us as we pray in the Savior's name, even as he taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ bless you and keep you, make you strong to stand for him this day and forevermore. Amen.